Welcome to the Buddha Sasana podcast. This talk was given by Bhikkhu Chintita in Chisago City, Minnesota. Today I want to talk about internal and external in the Dhamma exercises of the Satipatthana Sutta. We've been focusing on the first three of the four Satipatthanas in our discussion of internal and external in the Satipatthana Sutta. I want to finish by talking about the fourth Satipatthana. To recap, this hugely important Satipatthana Sutta describes contemplative exercises for verifying for ourselves the Buddha's teachings in our own experience then cultivating what we discover so that the Dhamma becomes the automatic basis of how we experience the world. Most of the exercises focus primarily on non-self and impermanence by setting up a series of experiments in which we review observable evidence for some facet of the self that we presume is there. Three facets come up for review. The body as self, consciousness or feeling as the self, and the mind as the self. The function of the Dhamma exercises exceeds the vital but narrow concerns of the first three Satipatthanas, generally written with small d, Dhammas, but spelled the same as Dhamma, are specific teachings of the Dhamma or their experiential manifestations. In the Pali Discourse, they are the following. The five hindrances, the five aggregates of appropriation, the four noble truths, the sixfold sphere, and the seven awakening factors. Although relatively few exercises are listed, it's clear that an enormous range of Dhamma topics will benefit from contemplation within the parameters set within the Satipatthana method while bringing quiet attentiveness to contemplation of the Dhamma. We only require that these Dhammas are verifiable in actual phenomenal experience. Unfortunately, the verifiability of Dhamma is often questioned, particularly in states of samadhi, as being too complex or too philosophical for this to succeed. This is in spite of the admonition to come and see ehipasiko. However, Shulman has argued persuasively that the earliest statements of the Dhammas are really well-grounded in experience and became more philosophical later on. In any case, a little imagination will reveal their direct experiential correlates, though modern tutorials seldom do that for us. For instance, perception, sanya, is listed as one of the factors in the five aggregates exercise, but is most often described as a human mental faculty, in fact, a personality factor. 
Observing sanya in these terms would seem to get us no further than observing the entire external body, mind, or consciousness. It seems to be a singular thing, the perception, presumed to stand behind direct experience. It might well be another facet of the self, the direct internal experience that would constitute evidence for such a presumption is a specific kind of awareness event. We recognize a face, George. That is perception in direct experience here and now. The fact that perception is an aggregate should make clear that we are contemplating such awareness events, not five human faculties. Not all the Dhamma exercises share the concern of the other Satipatthanas of quelling the presumption of self or of internalizing the three characteristics. The five hindrances and the seven factors of awakening clearly serve to monetary aspects of Satipatthana practice itself and have no clear relation to primary analysis. The hindrances fulfill the requirement of having put away covetousness and greed for the world, stated at the opening of the Satipatthana Sutta. The awakening factors describe the further narrowing of attention leading to the arising and consolidation of samadhi after what is clearly the practice of the fourth Satipatthana itself kicks off in the first three awakening factors proficiency investigation of dhammas and energy. The next two factors, rapture and tranquility, are antecedents leading up to samadhi and carried into samadhi, rapture as a jhana factor that is relinquished in the third jhana. However, I believe the aggregates exercise and the sixfold sphere do share the concerns of the first three satipatthanas, each presents an alternative way of modeling the world of experience and thereby addressing the same facet of the self that is addressed in the feeling exercise by contemplating evidence from five types of awareness events rather than from feeling alone, quelling the presumption of self in terms of the aggregates is the topic of the famous encounter of Mara with the Bhikkhuni Wajira, in which she elucidated for him, Just as, with an assemblage of parts, the word chariot is used, so, when the aggregates exist, there is the convention, a being. Even though not all Dhamma is concerned directly with vanquishing the self, the common refrain remains constant throughout the Dhamma exercises as well, except for the addition of a reference to the particular Dhamma under consideration in each case. For instance, that is how a bhikkhu abides contemplating Dhammas and Dhammas in terms of the five aggregates of appropriation. Interestingly, although the hindrances and the awakening factors seem not so easily to fit into the project of primary analysis, 
Both are analyzed elsewhere, at least partially in terms of internal and external, and in an altogether different context. In the Pariyaya Sutta, some disciples of the Buddha discover that teachers of other non-Buddhist sects also teach the hindrances and the seven factors of awakening and are hard put to explain what is so special about the Blessed One's teachings in this regard. So they ask the Buddha directly. The Buddha points out to his disciples that only he teaches that each of the hindrances and awakening factors is in fact a dichotomy as follows. Among the hindrances, lust dichotomizes into internal and external, ill will into internal and external, sloth and torpor into sloth and torpor, restlessness, remorse into restlessness and remorse, doubt once again into internal and external. Among the awakening factors, proficiency dichotomizes into internal and external, investigations of dhammas into internal and external, energy into bodily and mental, rapture into silent and discursive, tranquility into bodily and mental, samadhi into silent and discursive, and equanimity is about things internal and external. You don't have to remember which factors dichotomize into what. I'll refer to these as I go along. The teaching of the Pariyaya Sutta seems to have the hallmarks of an only partially successful attempt to extend primary analysis to the fourth Dhamma Satipatthana. This suggests that the applicability of primary analysis may have been mistakenly overextended to these exercises sometime in the history of the text, perhaps due to the pressure to keep the refrain consistent with its formulation in the first three Satipatthanas. This is the best defensible account I've come up with for this apparent anomaly so far. However, there seems to be an interesting logic to these dichotomies that perhaps suggests a more finessed generalization of primary analysis. To begin with, the application of the internal-external dichotomy to proficiency and to the investigation of dhammas is clear. These describe Satipatthana practice itself, which is, as we have seen, differentiated into internal and external analysis. For the rest, I want to point out to the following rough correspondences. There is a correspondence among internal, pre-presumptive, non-narrative, and silent. There is also a correspondence among external, presumptive, narrative, and discursive. 
internal was defined in earlier talks as pre-presumption and external as post-presumption. But let's generalize this. Let's assume that presumption is not specifically referenced to the presumption of the self or one of its facets, but more broadly, presumption includes a host of other agents and objects that have roles in narrations. Presumptions are the stuff of narratives, but at the same time, narratives sustain presumptions. What I render here as discursive is literally with thought and deliberation. We talk a wechata, a jhana factor, present only in the first jhana, the initial stage of samadhi. What I render as silent is without thought and deliberation, but also known as noble silence, present in the second, third, and fourth jhanas. Discursive thought supports narratives, but silence will not. Now, the Padayaya Sutta dichotomizes the hindrances of lust, ill will, and doubt as internal-external. In fact, each easily, but not necessarily, spawns narratives, which often acquire an emphatic force, as in... She made me mad. She had no right to do that. I'm going to get back at her. Once awakened, my wrath has no bounds. Darn tootin'. The tendency toward narratives is what makes them hindrances, distractions inimical to satipatthana or samadhi practice. However, if narratives are held at bay, Bare subjective factors become evident as manifestations of lust, ill will, and doubt. As a kind of energy in the mind, tightness in the chest, neck, and shoulders, flushing of the face, and so on. Accordingly, in their narrative discursive manifestation, lust, ill will, and doubt are subject to external analysis. In their silent, non-discursive manifestation, they are subject to internal analysis. Moreover, rapture and samadhi are each dichotomized as silent discursive. In fact, each spans the transition from the discursiveness of the first jhana to the silence of the second jhana, and is therefore associated in this way with sustaining or not sustaining narratives, and with the internal-external dichotomy. Nonetheless, it's unclear how this proposal might explain the remaining two hindrances dichotomized as they are named, as sloth and torpor, and restlessness and remorse. Perhaps close semantic analysis of the poly terms will show that these two correspond to the dichotomy internal-external, the dichotomy bodily-mental, the dichotomy bodily-mental attributed to energy and tranquility, and the attribution of equanimity of being about things internal and external remain unexplained. Food for future scholarship if not better to understand the Satipatthana Sutta than to understand the 
Parayaya Sutta. So conclusions to this series of talks on internal and external. The purpose of the Satipatthana Sutta is to investigate and confirm the Dhamma experientially and in, to internalize the Dhamma as a matter of direct perception as an advanced stage of acquiring right view. I would suggest that the text actually gives us two practice tracts, one specifically aimed at quelling the presumption of self in the first three satipatthanas, and the other at verifying the Dhamma more broadly in the fourth satipatthana. The first three satipatthanas deconstruct self in its three facets of the body, consciousness, and the mind through analysis in terms of the three characteristics. The Dhammic content of these exercises is confined almost entirely to the refrain. Non-self in particular requires the specialized method of primary analysis because one cannot directly observe a negative proposition, only fail to find observable evidence in support of the presumption of a substantial fixed self. The fourth Satipatthana is concerned with the investigation of the entirety of Dhamma, at least insofar as it is subject to experiential verification. It should be noted that the contemplation of Dhammas is referred to unmistakably and independently of the term Satipatthana in other early teachings, for instance, in the Seven Awakening Factors and in the Five Stages of Liberation. Accordingly, the primary method of analysis, which works so well for the deconstruction of self, fits awkwardly with the more general methods of analysis appropriate for the Dhamma more broadly. Preparation for successful Satipatthana practice is significant. The practice is already an extension of the development of right view through study and deliberation. It certainly also depends on the progress in the ethical practices in order to loosen the grip of the presumed external self if one wants to gain the critical insight into non-self. The bhavana path factors of right effort, right proficiency, and right samadhi are essential supports applicable in all Buddhist wisdom and ethical practices, but Satipatthana practice is perhaps unique in making such critical use of right proficiency to bring Dhamma into full engagement in contemplative practice, and right samadhi for wrapping attention around the primary theme and fine-tuning analysis into silent and preconceptual modes of cognition. The brilliance of Satipatthana is that, once the prerequisite training is in place, the exercises themselves become simple, grounded, intuitive, and effortless. They are a matter of sitting quietly with a particular aspect of experience to discover repeatedly the shoddiness of the presumptive 
conceptual overlay we tend to impose on that experience. To learn more about the Rethinking the Satipatthana Project, please go to sirigu.org slash chintita. That is s-i-t-a-g-u dot org c-i-n-t-i-t-a.